that she finds that it's not about killing the ego. And I'm not talking about killing the ego. I'm talking about softening the ego so you're not run by its pain, by its fears, by its actions. That it's actually an ally with you in your life, not something that runs you. You were clear about that? So it's not about killing the ego. I mean, this is what I was talking about yesterday. People who have dysfunctional egos are in mental institutions. You need the ego. It's just who's running the show. So something that you were saying is the body has an innate wisdom. You're absolutely correct. The body does have an innate wisdom. A dysfunctional ego will do everything it can for you not to follow that innate wisdom. So for those of you who've had an intention, um, somebody was talking about going to these amazing, uh, this one amazing teacher who does meditation. And a lot of people had come over and over and over. And in this last class that she was at, the teacher asks, well, how many of you are meditating? And no one raises their hand. And then she's like, okay, now we've got to meditate. That's a dysfunctional ego. So between what your conscious intent is and what you're actually acting, when that distance is about the size of the Grand Canyon, that's a dysfunctional ego. Dysfunctional because nobody was meditating? Nobody was yeah, because... the work, they're just... Right. Because, okay. so they, like, I'm sure we've all had this, right? We have a very powerful experience, a teacher, a yoga experience, a painting class. We're like, this is amazing. I've got to do this every day. Why don't we do it? Yeah. And if I do this diet, it, it really helped me. If I just cut out sugar a little bit, but I can't do it. So th- when people say kill the ego, that's impossible. That can be a natural process after tons and tons and tons of work, or you might be one of those lucky few which is incarnational where something drops off. Otherwise, for the rest of us, you've got to plug away at it. So it's very unsavory to hear, like, you've got to work at this stuff. You do have to work at it. It's just the way it is. Those of you who are healers here, you didn't become healers by uh, getting something in a cereal box. Well, a couple of you might, might have, but most of you didn't. It's like years and years and years of work. Those of you that are mothers here, it's not like you didn't just instantly drop, and it's tons and tons of work to get to a place where you actually are in communication with these beings. So to be clear about that, I'm not talking about killing the ego. It's impossible to kill the ego. And the people that attempt to do that end up in mental institutions or very dysfunctional. So I talk about in the book about this client that I worked with, I don't know, 15-some years ago, who was having a lot of emotional pain. And he had a gift. He had opened up his third eye, so he was getting a little bit psychic. And so the guy is just literally spending hours and hours and hours a day meditating. So I'm looking at this guy. He's getting very, like, in tune. He can do the future readings, blah, 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 past life readings. Great, great. I'm like, I don't think this is right here. I'm meditating. It's a spiritual thing. I'm killing my ego. It's very good practice. Get a call from the wife. Hey, listen, are you working with my husband? I don't think he's well. Me and the kids are really scared. And this guy didn't want to hear it. And he actually ended up in Bellevue. So you can take anything and abuse it. But when I say you, it's not the you sitting here. It's that part of the unconscious, that part of the ego, that's dysfunctional, that'll run the show. But it'll run you into the ground. Is that clear? So I'm not talking about killing anything. I'm talking about examine it, see it, then you decide. Again, it's about being as free as you can be. Most of us are run by these unconscious energies. All this work is about that. And this is what we're talking about, the absolute and phenomenal, right? A lot of this stuff that people, we, 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 we use the wrong tools for the wrong thing, right? I'm a mechanic part-time. So if I bring my mechanic tools in here and start working on you guys, a couple of you will die, some of you will sue me. It'll be a very weird thing. Those aren't the appropriate tools. They're very appropriate for what they're designed. 
For me to rebuild the top end on my Ducati, I need these tools. For me to talk to you about your ego, those tools are like, what are you doing, Abdi? But that's exactly what we're doing. So this is where spirituality and psychology, this is the thing that you have to always run through these filters. What is your intent? You're doing a weekend workshop. What is your intent? What is the spiritual aspect of this? What is the psychological aspect of this? Spiritual tools aren't designed to work psychologically. I've had two amazing teachers, the good fortune of one introduced by a dear friend. One is a Zen master that I knew a long, long time that I don't study with anymore. And one is this amazing... He's a pranayama teacher. He's a master, but what he really works with is pranayama teaching. Very powerful people. Both of these people at different times answered my direct question of presenting to them, we as Westerners, one's Japanese, one's Indian. What do you think of psychological issues? Their answers to both of them was, don't worry about it. If you do this work, it will take care of itself. If you practice your sitting regularly, the ego will take care of itself. If you practice this pranayama regularly, the ego will take care of itself. Now, is it possible that someone's got a really healthy ego that's not damaged, that that can happen? Absolutely. Have I seen that, having treated 8,000, 10,000 people in 25 years? Not really. I've seen a couple of well-adjusted people. Somebody, somebody was reviewing my book and was like, what an idiot this guy is. I can't believe he says we're all fucked up. You know what? We all are fucked up. Like, that's your idealized self-image, dude. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not like, what, do I get a kick out of saying everyone's fucked up? We were all damaged. So the arrogance of this person, like, no, he's different. Everything I talk to you about in here is from direct experience. I really try not to talk about philosophy. I, I don't know that stuff. What I'm telling is what I know. So I can teach you how to take a top end of a motor off and rebuild it, because I've done it a thousand times. I can tell you that. I'm like, if you do this, this will happen, this will happen. I'm not going to tell you, like, well, if I put a supercharger on this, I've never done it. I don't know. Everything I say to you here is from observing people day in and day out. So when that person says that, that's the part of us that's that idealized self-image that doesn't want to change. So be very clear. Which one are you doing? And remember, really the bottom line is try to enjoy your lives a little bit. If you're a caretaker, it's not fun. If you're doing it, if you're doing something for your kids, you love your kids, you do it. It's just natural. When you have your child, I'm sure it'll be delicious. One out of a hundred times you'll want to strangle the little bugger because he's not listening to you. But 999, you'll be like, this is amazing. That's just, just natural. But if on top of that, Joe Blow's like, listen, can you come and take care of my dog because I'm going and you don't want to do it, but you do it, that's that contract that we were talking about. We all have to review our contracts. With this awareness that you've been gaining from all the work you've been doing this weekend with your yoga practices, review your contracts. Take them one day at a time. You don't need to rip the whole thing apart. What's your contract with your loved ones? What's your contract with people you don't like? And remember, you're in as much of a relationship, if not more, with things and people you don't like than things and people that you like. Aversions and preferences are a huge thing. Your aversion to things and your preferences to things are the things that keep you stuck in certain modes. So the whole idea of these Zen masters where they could just be open to anything, that's actually because they've worked through letting go of aversions and preferences. So think about that a second. If you have an aversion to the weather being this warm, you're going to suffer. 
If you're like, yeah, it's too hot, it sucks, it's what it is, easier. You have a preference for the weather being warmer than this, but it's not, you're going to suffer. If you're like, yeah, it would be nicer if it's warmer, but it's not, I'm okay with it. The aversion and preferences is actually what keeps us stuck on this realm, not just in your daily life. That's the stuff that actually gets you stuck when you leave this body. So practice that once in a while. Practice being in a situation. So you're watching a movie you hate. You go like, I really have an aversion to this. Sit there and see what comes up. I hate this person. I hate when my wife invites this person. And I'm going to sit here and just see what, what is it? What is my aversion? And then the same thing with the preference. I love this flavor ice cream. The guy gave me strawberry. I hate strawberry. I'm just going to have this strawberry to see what is this experience of aversion and preference. So practice that in your lives. Now I want to read you. A, this, is a, this is one of my favorite old-time poems. Uh, written by the third Zen patriarch. And I think I'm pretty sure I brought it with me. It's pretty, pretty lovely. It's all here. It's like this one of these things. I go like, when people go like, well, if it's going to be the end of the world, I'm going to go into a bunker. I'll be like, take this poem. Then take I am that or Ramana Maharshi. You're set. Because you're sitting there for 40 years, these things will totally sort you out. This poem, you know the, the way the Zen patriarchs are. So this cat, this Cat was the 30th patriarch after Buddha. So the way they work, so the third Zen patriarch, Bodhidharma, to give you, you know who Bodhidharma is? He brought uh, Zen from India to China. He's the third patriarch after that. You guys know Bodhidharma? The Bodhidharma is the picture of the little guy without eyelashes. He looks like a Buddha. A lot of people think he's Buddha, but he's not. And it's a beautiful story. He doesn't have eyelashes because his eyelashes were cut and they were planted and tea came out of it because people would drink tea and not fall asleep. So the image of his eyelashes is that he would never sleep and would meditate all the time. So that's a little thing at the pub I'm sure you guys can share with the rednecks down the road. Um, it's really long. I'm not going to bore you because you will start losing it, but I'm going to put it up there like read this. This is called Faith Mind. And not, not a lot's known about this guy, um, but a little bit that is if you read up on him. His name is uh, Seng Sun, S-E-N-G. T-S-A-N. Very beautiful. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is a disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of these things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is, undisturbed, is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. You with me so far? Yes. Make sense? Can you apply this to your life? Well, the love part feels so nice. Love part feels nice, but it's actually not easy to do. So he ends it with... Emptiness here, emptiness there. But the infinite universe stands alone, always before your eyes. Infinitely large and infinitely small, no difference. For definitions have vanished and no boundaries are seen. This is the state of the absolute, where the personality is not in the way. So too with being and non-being. Don't waste time in doubts and arguments that have nothing to do with us. One thing, all things, move along and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith 
is a road to non-duality because a non-dual is one with the trusting mind. Words, the way is beyond language, for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, no today. So, again, it goes back to that same thing. First thing I said to you, one of my favorite teachers, modern teachers, he's got a book in there, Silence is My Secret. And then he's got five volumes after that. Guy's not an asshole. The guy's really got something. You need the words, but the words are very misleading. So the non-duality part in this of actually not taking a position, that's really tricky. Because it's really fun to take a position. That's a part of our ego. So one of the things for me as someone who was raised around the world, politics have always been important to me. I'll read it till I start getting rigid. Then I back away. So I'm not going to be an imbecile and not know what's going on in the world. But when I get too rigid, when I take that position, then there's too much distinction. If I'm like, those damn Republicans, those damn Democrats, it's all one. So you have to start applying that daily, which leads to the other thing that I wanted to talk about. You don't have to like people. You have to love everyone. So people always ask me, like, how do you do that, man? There's got to be some people that you come and see at your work and you must like, drive you crazy. No, because I don't take it personally. Definitely, we all have preferences. There are people that come in, you're much more connected to their people that push your buttons. You have to love everyone. Loving everyone doesn't mean that you invite them to your home and have tea with them. It means you remember the oneness. Then you go like, well, I don't know if I like this person that much. Why don't I like them? Oh, they remind me of my mom. They remind me of my dad. They remind me of this aspect of myself I haven't healed. But you do have to love them. With me so far? They didn't explain how to do that? You didn't explain how to do that. <laughs> how to do the like it and the loving? Yeah, they had to love everybody even if they annoy you a lot. Like how, do you, how do you do that? How you do it is, first of all, it's sort of what he's talking about in here. You don't get too involved with their shit. Now, remember, you've got to always hold your humanity. A cab driver is going to run you over. You get really angry. It doesn't mean you go kiss him and go, hey, I love you. There's a point you're like, I fucking, I hate you. I hate cab drivers. But on a higher level, it's not a personal thing. Now, you might have to get run over 300 times till you can go to that place. We're talking, this is the idealized, ideal place. It might take a lifetime to get there. But in your mind, you constantly work. Every time you throw energy on that level, it's about some aspect of yourself. That's the love and the like. One of the things that's really important and that I keep getting more and more, we all play for the same team. It's very hard. Some of you love Bush. Some of you love... Reagan, some of you love, blah, blah, blah. It's all the same. We're all playing for the same team. This planet is dying because of this separation. I don't have to like Bush or his policies, right? When I came to this country, I've had family members that were murdered because of CIA and the people who pay taxes in this country. I don't have to like that, but I love the people in this country. I can differentiate between the two. We're all playing for the same team right now. So one of the things that's really important is and we'll get into this reviewing our contracts, examine where in your life, what are these people, what are these situations that you actually are really pissed off at? Because it's always your shit. This is a like and a love. There might be somebody in this room that really triggers, I might really trigger someone in this room. You might not like me, like this guy curses too much, this guy dresses funny, this guy smells funny. But it's something about you. If you're like, I don't, this guy doesn't make sense to me. That's a different story. I'm just going to walk out the class. That's healthy. So you hate uh, child abusers because of our it's interesting how you, how you go to that place. Well, look at child, child abusers. For me as a child, I was abused. So the child abuse thing is very interesting. So I became a master killer 30-some years learning how to 
basically fuck people up because I was dealing with that child when I was little where I was abused where I couldn't deal with it. For me, if I see somebody, a guy abusing a child, I will break his neck most probably. But I also know that child abusers were always abused. So you hold those space. So does it make it okay? No. If someone abuses someone, they need rehabilitation, they might have to need to go to jail. I'm not like, hey, we hold hands patchouli. I'm very realistic that way. But let's go a step further. If that person's doing that, what was that about? So it's very easy to be like, that fucking scumbag. It perpetuates the cycle. So I'm saying step back. Now, we're talking on an ideal level. It's not as easy. We all have our stuff. Someone called you fat. Someone called you skinny. We're going to get triggered. But we're getting to a point where we've got to realize we're all playing for the same team. The same team thing is really important. So going back to the news thing, read as much as you want to read. Going back to watching horror movies, watch as much as you can. When you start losing yourself, step back. When you start getting into this tight space, step back. We can all, you know, it's like we were talking about these teachers over lunch. Like, this, this, this teacher's off, this teacher's off. They all have positive qualities. Good for them, they're putting it out there. Some of them are total assholes. They still have good qualities. Just make a distinction. It's great what they're doing. Wow, they're really off here. I don't want to marry them. I might want to go and learn how to do blah, blah, blah from them. So it's never either or. Is that more clear? Yes. Now, you were talking about earlier about these contracts. One of the things that's really important to do right now is to review all these contracts that we have, right? So we talked about this a little bit before. Contract with people at work. So at work, you became your idealized self and you put in 40 hours a day because you want people to love you. And everyone's like, oh, Abdi, you're so great, 40 hours a day. And it's like, mm, I need to review that contract. You might get your ass fired if you review that contract. And that's just a job. Forget about your lover, your son, your daughter, your uncle, your cousin. You have to review the contracts and let people sort things out for them. Something has happened in this level that we live where the game has gone to the next level. If you're in a long-term relationship, again, friend, animal, lover, doesn't matter. You have to really re-examine things. If you're angry at someone, you've got to look inside. If you're sad at something, look inside, see what it is. It's not about perfection. We're all damaged. We all have these twisted parts. You learn how to live with them. But you don't let them run you. So take a second right now. Go inside. Figure out what it is you need to review. What are the contracts? What is it? From this new place that you're in right now with this understanding. Is there a job situation? Is it your kids? Is it that you're driving them every second to a soccer camp? Every, now you just don't want to do that. And it's going to be every other weekend. Now take one of those contracts in your body, feel your feet, feel your hands, feel your solar plexus, 
What is the feeling that comes up when you're feeling that you're going to confront this person or this situation? How much relief is there? How much fear is there? How much anxiety is there? Now in your mind's eye, I want you to call in this situation or this person on a soul level and have this conversation in your mind's eye. If it's a situation, you do it with the situation. If it's a person, you call them forth. Without justification, just saying, this is your need. And now feel inside your body as you do that. And feel how the body feels. Take a deep breath, release your chest. Gently open your eyes. Can you feel a difference of the energy in the room? Can anybody feel the difference? This is how much we're holding on all the time. It's a very simple thing, right? Something that I practice with, if it's dealing with someone who maybe was an abuser in my past that I can't talk to, who's dead, if it's someone I don't really have the courage to stand up to, if it's someone that I would hurt too much to stand up to, I actually practice this. I call them in on that soul level. And again, these are words. What the hell does it mean? Soul, blah, blah, blah. Energetically, we're all connected. So I'm dialing that number. So I got the 011 area code calling Europe international call and I call that person it's amazing how much changes on that level so if it's hard for you to do that one-on-one -on -one, start with that what we were talking about before in your minds I do that it really opens up ways anybody want to share anything I did um, somebody it was a small one mm -hmm. somebody recently asked me if she could stay mm -hmm. and I you know 
I normal, have a big place, and have a lot of friends. Mm. And I didn't want her to stay, so I, I did that. And at first, I felt my chest really mm. tight. Mm. And then, and you said no justification, so mm. I just said I can't do it now. Mm. I just felt just like it getting lighter. Mm. So it was a good thing. It's so powerful because we're taught not to do that. Yeah, you can't say no. You, you have can't to keep giving. Yeah. You have to be yeah. the giver. Yeah. You have so much. How could you be so selfish? It's that woman we were talking about yesterday, this story of where she's a little kid and the parents are like, give up your toys. I was there. So at that age, you get yeah. that. For some people, it will be something else. For somebody else, it will be like taking. They just have to always take. So by you saying that, it makes them, gives them a boundary. Boundaries are important. It helps people okay. not to step into that place constantly. And I remember being a little kid. This is very interesting. The phone would ring, whatever country we were in, and my mom would be like, tell them I'm not here, tell them I'm not be here. It was a really big thing. Like, I learned as a kid, like, it's not okay to say you don't want to talk to someone. It didn't matter if it was, like, long distance, her sister calling from Iran to Nigeria, whatever. It was like, tell them I'm not here, tell them I'm not here. So it was shameful just to say, like, I don't want to talk. I remember the first time I was up... Uh, actually, in the Lower East Side, I was living in the Lower East Side, and somebody called, and I was doing that, and my girlfriend would pick up the phone, and I'm like, ah, I'm not here. I remember first time saying, yeah, just tell them I'm not here, I'm not, I just can't talk right now. Not justifying. It was so powerful. It's like, wow, I actually have a right to exist without a fucking monkey dance. I'm okay. No, I'm not in a dentist. No, I'm not taking a shower. No, I didn't break my leg. I don't feel like talking. It's so powerful, these little things. These are the steps that lead to freeing you. It's not the big stuff. We might as well talk about this now. The reason we miss the big self, whatever you want to call this thing, is because we're looking for fireworks. Right? We have these amazing experiences. We've talked about this before. You can have these amazing spiritual experiences. They're phenomenal. There's a reason why every culture says when you have these psychic awakenings, when you have these kundalini experiences, it means nothing. Sure, it's cool. It gives you an idea there's more to life. You can spend gazillion lifetimes checking out all the realms in here and you won't have enough time. There's infinite, infinite, infinite realms. Again, you want to do it as a free person? It's interesting. You're into UFOs? God bless you. Wonderful. You're into subterranean lizard people? Wonderful. Realize it's phenomenal. But we miss the self because we're looking for fireworks. The day when you have that experience, if you've done ayahuasca, if you've had a spiritual awakening through a 10-day meditation, it's actually embarrassing how ridiculously easy it is because it's been in front of your nose all the time. Right? So Ramana Maharshi used to talk about it. It's like this thing you've had in your pocket. You've all had this experience, right? You've got your keys in your pocket. You go crazy because you're late for a meeting. You're running around the house looking for the damn key. At the end, you're just leaving to jump on the cab and you touch your pocket. You're like been here all the time so nothing new this is one of the things with the spiritual work people think something new is going to be discovered it's been here all the time but it's, since it's been here all the time you don't really realize so there's no fireworks it's more of a fart than a firework <laughs> when it hits you but you know how great some farts are you're like oh man that was just wonderful it's that fart So it's who you've always been, it's who you are, and you're looking for fireworks. Because you're a drug addict, you're a junkie. Great, man. Be a junkie. Try to do junkie things that won't kill other people and won't kill yourself. Don't drink and drive. 
and remember that you're a drug addict. So you don't want to kill the ego. You want to soften it so this can come through gently, gently, gently. And it will. Musashi was one of the most famous swordsmen in Japan. This guy had, I forget how many confirmed kills. A little short son of a gun. So obviously because of his height, he had a little chip on his shoulder. I know short guys can sometimes have that. This guy, by the time he was 14, I think I'd already killed his first man. Very powerful. A lot of stories about him, but like real accounts. This guy would jump on top of a tree. People would come in and he would jump down and like knock down 14 people. I mean like wild stuff. This man was a killer. So in the judgment of all of us would be like, how disgusting. A murderer or a killer. To his defense, it was always fair fights. He never killed any innocent people, but it was always these fights. So this guy killed dozens and dozens of people. You know how he died? Carving wooden Buddhas. He died an enlightened person. Because he went to such an extreme on that level that he came to the other side. So you never know about your path. I treat people who are doing good and helping people who are a thousand times more rageful than that person. I was that guy. I love my work now, but 25 years later, I can actually do it without identifying with it. When as a 25-year-old, I'm running around working in the shelters in the morning, treating junkies at this time, sitting with people who are dying of AIDS. It looks beautiful outside looking in, right? Like, oh, what a nice guy. Inside, I was dying. I was getting in like fights every two seconds. Knife cuts, bruises, all the time. I was a psychopath because I wasn't honoring it. So again, it goes back to action and intention. So to bring this whole thing back, this is the intention. Don't judge yourself. Kabir says, all my destructive actions I claim as preparation. Right? So everything that's brought you to here, your drug addiction, you've hurt people, you've betrayed yourself, you've betrayed other people, you've stole whatever you've done. You use your sexuality as a tool. You've transgressed, transgressed towards yourself, towards other people. Claim that as preparation. But what that means is, now you're prepared, now put it down. Now you're prepared, now put it down. So from this day forward, work a little harder on having some compassion on yourself. It's very difficult to have compassion on yourself. Narcissism isn't compassion. <laughs> right? I mean, it sounds crazy. You see narcissistic people. The Chinese in Chinese medicine, there's a very beautiful saying. They say wherever there's an excess, it's covering a deficiency. You have a scab. The scab is hard and excess because it's covering missing skin. Excess deficiency. Narcissists, which is our twisted version of what self-care is in this culture, is an excess covering deficiency. There is no self-esteem there. So it's about win-win situations. But people talk about win-win situations. Whenever someone comes and says to me, I really offer this win-win situation, I'm like, whoa. Better get the KY out because I'm going to get really screwed right now. <laughs> I got a neighbor, perfect guy. He's some banker from the city, just bought 150 acres behind my property. And he's trying to sell me some land. He's like, um, well, I'm going to do some conscious logging here. And me and my wife look at each other. It's like, well, time to move, I guess. So yesterday morning, I come up there. It's like, Wah! bulldozers. I feel like I'm in World War II, like in the Battle of the Bulge, just half tracks rolling, just breaking trees. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. That's the language. 
We've gotten very good, and as Americans, we're very good. I'm sure other cultures have it, but as Americans, we're very good. In Japan, they'll smile at you and stab you in the back. But here we have this language, conscious logging, conscious living. It's all one, and that smile, right? I much rather deal with a junkie because I'm like, I know what you want. I know what I want. It's an honest relationship. I've been more screwed over by spiritual people than anything, and I'm sure a lot of you have had experiences, and I treat a lot of people who have had that experiences. Because that shadow part hasn't been accepted. It's, this smile thing doesn't make it go away. It just subverts it and actually gets uglier. Because when you subvert it, it gets much more twisted. Now, the bottom line here is to be helpless. To feel some helplessness. God willing, you can get helpless before you go through the windshield of that car. Before horrible things happen. But those horrible things are for the ego, not for you. I want to do a little practice right now to bring a little bit of this feeling of what helplessness feels like. It sounds simple, but if you drop into it, it's really annoying. And I want you to be annoyed. So one of the ways you can practice this at home is to be with a friend. We've talked about it with some of you. Sit down at a meal. Have the friend or the partner cut a piece of food and put it in your mouth. It'll piss you off to no end. It's too big. It's too small. I don't want that bite. I want some mashed potatoes before you do that. We are absolute control freaks. It's incredible. Some of us more than the others, but it's like usually 100%, some people 120%. Control freaks. We, we, well, the, control, the control freak. We, we, are, we are living it. We are living it. So the exercise is going to be, we're just going to pair up. Couples that are actually couples, I'd like you to stay as couples because it's good for you to practice as couples. The rest of us will get together. One person is going to close their eye. One person is going to lead. The way you're going to lead is how you would lead a blind person, which is you let the person who's got their eyes closed to hold your arm, and you lead them. The exercise isn't just for the person who closes their eyes. The person who closes their eyes really feel the anxiety that comes up of being in control, but the person that's leading feel how good it feels to be in control. Feel the anxiety that might come with it because it's reminding you of being in control, having to be in control as a child, power pleasures that comes with it. It's subtle, but it's powerful. So let's experience that. Are you open to that? Go on. Reverse roles? Oh, you're going to reverse roles. So we're just going to do it like one minute and then. No, actually, I think that'd be good. If you don't know each other, pick somebody else just to really, really get that juiced up. Some, I, I, know, I know there's a little bit of resistance here to it, some, maybe for not for some of you, but even that, pay attention. And I never force people to do anything. You, you think that's stupid, you don't want to do it, by all means, don't do it. But understand why you're not doing it. Again, this is a free universe. This is not a work camp. You do what you want to do, what you feel comfortable with. If you don't want to do it, just sit down and that's cool. The rest of us will practice. No judgment, I promise. I used to hate it when I do workshops and you had to do stuff. If you don't feel like doing it, don't do it. But be honest with what part of you doesn't want to do it. That's all. Okay? So let's group up. Really allow the other person to hold your hand so you don't have to do anything. Right like that and like that. Beautiful. So those that are being led, just feel it. Maybe you feel stupid. Maybe it feels dumb, this exercise.
And feel the responsibility, those of you that are doing the leading. Giggle is good. Slow down a little bit. There's no rush. Understand that the speeding up is the anxiety on both people's parts. Did you feel that? Just, just pay attention one second. Why are we running around? It's a small space. Where do you think you're going? That's anxiety. If you're bumping into people, the people that are leading, you suck. The person just got run over by a cab. That's what you get at Omega. Okay, now stop, but don't change. Keep your eyes closed. I love how people who are being led just immediately pop their eyes open. Thank God this is over. I saw that. Feel it. And feel how much you're dying to open your eyes, some of you. So for some, some of you might actually feel good, and you're actually happy closing your eyes. And you leaders, watch your postures. The hand on the waist for some of you, it's a place of power. You have to be in this place. For some of you, this has been your whole life. You probably make damn good livings having to be in this place of power. It served you well. When you feel ready, no rush. Open your eyes and change partners. And you can start nice and slow. Watch how you want to run right away. Have him, your hand is here, and he holds you here. This is how you, yeah. Yeah, that's how we, and you, yeah. Well, well, you can do that, but it's actually better just to go, just follow that. Okay. That's how you lead blind people. Not that you're blind, metaphorically. Don't kill your pregnant wife there. No talking, just guide them with your body. So the people that are leading feel the difference in energy. Different form of alertness. People that are now being led feel that energy. Now stop right where you are. The people that are leading, I want you to feel your body posture. 
Are you dragging the person along? Are you letting them walk with you? Pay attention to how much effort you were putting into pulling this person along. Because that's a pretty nice metaphor for what you're doing in your life. Your hips thrusted forward. The people in the background, how much did you trust? Are you really trusting the person in front of you? Or are you kind of using your feet to make sure that you're not being dragged into something by the jackass leading you? And feel what it feels like. The difference between a couple of minutes ago, whichever role you had, feel the difference. Those of you that are being led, pay attention to how much more relaxed your body hopefully is now than when you were leading. And those that are leading, observe your posture. You're in that fight or flight mode. You're right on. And when you're ready, you can let go and sit down. Let me jot a couple of things about your experiences on both sides. Write it down while it's still fresh in your mind, so before you lose it. Anybody want to share anything? I felt um, very um, almost peaceful being led, which was funny. Fantastic. And then when I was leading, I felt very responsible. Mm. Like it felt heavy on my body that mm-hmm. I was leading. Mm-hmm. That I so she wouldn't trip or anything. Mm. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Thanks. Uh, I felt more relaxed being led, which was actually surprising to me. Me too. And I felt more Richard um, leading. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I felt um, careful. I was being careful leading. I felt comfortable and confident being led. And like she said, peacefulness. It's really beautiful. It's how much we've all dropped in here, because that's usually not the experience. Go on. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the reverse, like being led, 
yeah, there's somewhere if you're comfortable, you can like drop a little bit, but there's still, I mean, at least my turn, some government and some, a little bit of government under how he was doing it. Oh, it's too fast, or it's too this, or you know, so yeah. I'm not quite accepting just being completely left. That's actually really beautiful. And that's usually the experience because we're all control freaks. That's the same thing with that somebody feeding you. Yeah. Well, it's like I wanted to I wanted to go out, but the things looked too narrow. I didn't want to take a chance. And I had to, I had to trust myself more. And I think if we kept going a little bit longer, I would have taken you out. I, I would have tried. Out either, I, I would have tried after while I was waiting. So I had mm-hmm. to get a little bit more confident. You know, take out, you mean outside the door? Outside no, just outside the circle. Outside the circle. Outside the circle, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm taking around, I'm looking mm-hmm. at the exits to go out, I'm mm-hmm. looking for the right you know, place to go on. trip, and I'm like, I'm not totally mm-hmm. trusting to go out, but I'm like getting more daring, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, I want to try to take her out of the circle, you know. We're going to have to practice it tomorrow to see how it feels. <laughs> what else? I love it. Beautiful. That's the part of us that holds back from being taken care of. I myself have been saying for years, take care of me. I want to be taken care of. No one takes care of me since I was a kid. I can't hold being taken care of. I'm just starting now at 50 from doing all this work. It's really scary to be vulnerable. So we can have these words, blah, 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 vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. We can't do it. Because what happens is it's so much deeper than what you're saying is very true, but it's so much deeper than that. We don't believe it's going to be done unless it's done a certain way. That's why anything that makes you release it is really powerful. Shavasana, the end of your practices, is so much more powerful in a way than all the doing, 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 doing. But no one really does it. So I have this friend who teaches this yoga class, and his whole thing is very specific. The whole thing is Shavasana. And it's mind-blowing how powerful this thing is. For me, like, you know, I'm not a yogi, I'm a martialist, but I did yoga pretty intently for a while. And at the end, everyone does shavasana, fall asleep, get up, let's go. And one of the things that he does is he actually has you hold your hand up from the elbow up so you don't fall asleep. And you go into this deep, deep relaxation. It's mind-blowing. But because it's non-doing, it's considered bullshit. So what you were describing earlier to that lunch where you have this one teacher who was doing shavasana and playing these sounds and how deeply people went. The magic is in the non-action. This culture, non-action, means laziness. We do not make room for non-action. The Chinese have a great term, wu wei. Wu wei, a Taoist idea, it's, people think it's not doing. It's actually doing from the place that's not forced. So it's, it's translated as non-action. Non-action and not doing are different. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I cannot do. Non-action is this automatic thing that happens. So when you do an experience like this, you just realize how much resistance we have. This is the work. So practice this. You think you're having a hard time walking around doing this? How hard do you think it's going to be when you're dying? Because it's the same thing. the same thing so practice while you're alive so when death comes knocking on your door it's a bit of an easier transition because you can't practice for it 
I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So go, de- go, go deeper now. That's beautiful. So go deeper. So what is that? What is that? What, what is this idealized self-image that leads to that? Beautiful. And that's usually, it's really beautiful what he's saying. That's usually how these woundings work. There's a deficiency excess. So on one level, it's a small thing. Then you compensate by being Superman, Superwoman. I'm going to be the best. Da, da, da. They actually coexist at the same time. It's very powerful that. This non-action thing that we're talking about ties into that. Because we do feel underneath helpless because we wear, we're, we're all bluffing. So we stop bluffing, we're all bluffing, right? Very few people are actually themselves. These masks are bluffs. So sort of like, I remember back in the day when you were fighting, a lot of times you wouldn't fight. It was who was bluffing more, who was like acting more crazy. So whoever's bluffs was stronger, then you wouldn't fight. The one person would win, it's like animals, and you'd walk away. We're doing that in life all the time, except the person that loses is us and the person that we're in relationship with. Because the person in relationship, when you're leading your wife, she's not getting you. She's getting something you think you need to be. And you're losing because you're not being you. You're being something that you had to do to tap dance to get the love because your dad, mom, babysitter said this to you. So everybody loses. So again, these are words. We go like, oh, be yourself. The gift to the world is yourself. That's real, right? If I am being my father, that's not the gift to the world. There was already one man that did that. He did a great job. He did a horrible job. If I'm me... That's my gift. But these things are literal, not in some new agey movement, which is how people actually hide behind. It is so difficult to be yourself, right? Are you an oak tree? I always talk about this. Are you a rose bush? Are you... Sometimes you can. In my experience as a healer, very few people are ever themselves. Most all the time, they're actually reacting to internal issues that they're not even aware of. It might be in a moment that you can be present to that. But what I'm telling you here is that it's unconscious. So the woman talking to me is your conscious self. Absolutely, it's possible you can be that. But the major- we are so lost in this. This started when you're three or six months old. So that 30, 40, 50, we don't know what's real. So going back to that analogy, I was a rose bush. I was very sensitive. My dad was like, rose bushes, that's for pussies. I want an oak tree. Okay, I'll be an oak tree. So then I stop smelling like a rose. I start faking myself to be an oak tree. The food that the oak tree lives, the sun that the oak tree needs is going to kill the rose bush. So I kill myself. I kill myself. So my dad can say, hey, that you're a good boy. By the time I'm 50, I don't know. Like, I thought I was one thing. I know I'm not happy. Everyone's like, man, this guy's great oak. I love cutting this wood. It burns really well. I, great. I'm wonderful. But I really betrayed that part. So the distance between these two, how you know it is how anxious you are, how angry you are, what are you doing with your food, how anal you are, how enabled you are to be vulnerable. Myself having been in long-term relationships since I was 17, myself having observed couples, very few people are actually intimate. We'll get into the relationship thing tomorrow a little bit more. Intimacy happens in the first couple of weeks of a relationship. 
After that, because it's safe, there's, there's no attachment yet. It's like, it's safe because you can run out. As soon as you go a little bit deeper, boom, all these triggers come up. So then we go into the distance mode. You ever wonder why the sex is so hot when you meet someone initially? It isn't just because it's a new body. Sure, it's that. It's because all the inhibitions are off. And then as we get deeper, it goes back. Now, for some people, the sex stays hot, but in the personality, they don't really relate as deeply. For some people, intellectually, they connect. They stop having sex. It's really scary to be naked. So again, what I'm saying is to realize the tap dance is much bigger than you realize. So yes, there are aspects of us that are real. Might be your artistic side, might be your loving side. You don't realize, one doesn't realize how much of a tap dance we do, right? Culture, which is drugs galore. Culture, which consumes constantly. This is not from a place of happiness. If you're centered, you can now be a consumer. You just won't give a shit. Not that you don't buy anything, but you don't buy nine things. So pay attention to this stuff. As we get into this place, it gets a little bit more uncomfortable because now we're pushing against the stuff that's not here at all. It's not, not only it's not in the front, it's not even on the side. It's back here. And the only way you can tell what it is is by your resistance. Now, do you want to walk out? That's resistance. Are you falling asleep? That's resistance. You're like, that was up to here. It was pretty good. Now he's talking shit. <laughs> I got nothing to sell you. I'm just telling you what I observe. It's a good time to take a break before you all kill me now. We'll take a little breather. So let's take a little breather here and see where we need to go next. And I'd love some guidance from you. Lazy bastards make me do all this work up here. Let's do a little short meditation, relaxation, invocation. So the first thing I want you to feel is how lighter you all feel. I hope. So the reason we we'll go through these uncomfortable experiences is just to feel lighter because it releases it. So something as simple as being led or leading. You feel these feelings. They're not that much fun. They're fun. And lo and behold, wow, it's easier. So drop the breathing. Be in your hands. Be in your feet. Pay attention to the posture. Neck not too out, not too in. Relaxed. Feeling your back, feeling your hands, feeling your feet, hearing the sound of the people talking outside, the carts going by.
nowhere to go, nowhere to be. No history, no plans. Consciousness, being aware of consciousness. If you need to move, you can move. Just keep the consciousness aware. As you're sitting here, let's practice again what we practiced last night. Identify with the consciousness. What sounds would this room be hearing if you weren't here? Empty yourself. 
There's no one in this room, just awareness being aware. What does that feel like? Gently bring yourself back into the room. How's everyone doing? Can you guys tap into that exercise at all? Of what? The energy is like if you're not in this room. Play around with that. It can be pretty profound. It can be a really nice way of identifying with consciousness, with your body out of the way. You know, even might be for a couple of seconds. But it's pretty wild when it happens. Right? We feel so imprisoned by these roles that we have. So that dying experience, the death experience, might give you a little bit of a leeway. It doesn't have to be that way. An experience like that, if you can touch into that expansion, even if it's for a couple of seconds, it can be that profound. And it's really accessible as a matter of practicing it. But it does soften. The wild thing is, in my own experience, when I get close to it, I don't want to really do it anymore. Because it's just my ego. is like, well, come on, we can't give up the game, man. I got the game. We'll ride the Ducati. Come on, let's go. 
So the balance is how can you do these things? How can you kind of go into this place, soften, make it easier? And then when it's time, when you're ready, you step out. To me, that guy that we were talking about, about that reporter who went to Padre Pay and at the last second decided, that's really honest. He walks up, he's like, oh, I want to be enlightened. I want to, it's like, I'm not ready to be enlightened. Yeah, you know what, maybe I want to live. For a lot of you people in here, maybe you just need to live. Maybe you just need to be happy for a while. So maybe you need to be out of your real estate work and just do whatever for a while. Maybe I need to not to be a healer and go back to wrenching on bikes. I don't know. Maybe you need to quit your corporate job and figure out what it is you need to do. Or maybe you will do real estate and kick ass at it and it won't even affect you because you're not really there doing it. It just happens through you and it's not stressful. Maybe I just keep doing my healing work from a different place and it doesn't drain me at all because I'm not attached to it. So ultimately, the outside stuff doesn't really make a difference when you're aligned internally. Sometimes you need to stay in that because as one of you was telling me today, when you're in that kind of hot environment, it cooks you, it forces you, great. But then it's less painful because you're not as attached to it. So what else you guys want to talk about? Which exercise? Sorry, the walking one. Mm -hmm. uh, being walking or reading. Mm -hmm. not, uh, it's, I'll just say it like, say for instance, like being in your head, it's much more being in your head, but, and then paralleling that to life, say, where you're being led, which is about feelings. Mm. And uh, feelings, uh, living, well, personally, living my life through feelings, I find incredibly difficult. Mm. Because, uh, you know, living in my head is, like there's a problem, I can fix it, uh, mm. next one. Problem, fix it, mm. next one. Problem, fix it. And it's just like jumping, um, whatever you call it, fences. Mm. But living in feelings, it's um, sometimes I feel like I don't know why it's going to stop. Because it's mm. like, okay, well, I feel this. So I go into it, and it's like, okay, I'm here. And I feel this, and I'm like, oh, now I'm here. And then I feel this, and it's like, oh, now I'm here. Mm. That's a great, that's, that's a great question. First of all, the thinking part, again, it's what... Gisela was saying earlier, it's not about it being an idiot and not thinking and no ego. You use it. Yeah. These are all different tools. Let's make a distinction here between feelings and emotions. So, enough said on that topic. <laughs> feelings can be another thing that just yank you here and there. Emotions, whichever word you want to use, it doesn't matter. So the words is which one you want to connect with. But there's that gut thing that's much deeper than the feeling because the feeling thing can be like I'm horny I'm hungry I'm a, that's same as thinking that's a biological thing that's going 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 that's the same thing as that a lot of people get lost in that right so sort of this process group thing you guys remember back in the day some of you are old enough primal scream we're gonna go and just scream it all out it's like yeah that'll just work for like that long so you have to first of all distinguish ego is a very slippery customer it'll use whatever to do that you can have a feeling about something you can have an emotional response to something the one that's stronger again whichever word you're using when you're in a situation when you're not being honored it's like if, let's, let's say we're going to use feelings as a lighter one that's kind of floating emotion as a stronger one feelings are the clouds they come and go if you're constantly worried about the clouds you're going to get in trouble you want to focus on the sun so whichever word you're using, which one is the sun? That's the one that's going to tell you if you're aligned or not. If you're trying to steer a boat by the clouds, you'll be lost. 
You're steering your boat by the sun. If you know what you're doing, you're always fine. So find that thing, whatever word you want to connect to, that's the one. There are a lot of people, remember what I said to you, three things we do with emotions, that's the word I'm using. Repress them, right, anger. Feel them, act them out, anger. <laughs> Actually feel them to release them. Being stuck in emotions or feelings is the same thing. A lot of people do that. Like that was a big thing. Like we were people very repressed in this country around the world in the 50s. Then in the 60s, we were like, hey, let's get the feelings out. Well, it was part of the process. It wasn't there's anything wrong with that. You went from everyone's fine, everyone's fine, everyone's on pills, to 60s, hey, man, touchy-feely. That was part of the process. But you got to move beyond that. And there is no right or wrong. Sometimes you're in a situation where you've got to get up tomorrow morning and work and you have a very sick client and you can't really sit there and be like, I'm just going to touch with these emotions. And you've got to go into your head and get your shit together and feed your kids and do what you've got to do. But don't forget that appointment. You left the oven on. You left the boiler on. It will burn your house down. Eight hours later, we might not burn it down. Come back eight hours later. Be like, where, did, where was that thing? Where did I put it? Oh, here it is. It's actually even more hot. Being the unknown, I would say for you right now, because all these emotions are coming up and it's very hard, being that middle road. Knowing is one. I know I got to do this. I know I don't have to do this. Yes, no. Binary. Addiction. Remember, all binary things are addictive, by the way. Whenever you get stuck in that binary mode, you understand what I'm saying by binary? Addictions per se, that's duality. Yes, no. I have to, I don't have to. Maybe that's a divine feminine. Because maybe it's infinite possibilities. You know, it's something that we talk about of being open to that third way. I just know, I got to come up with this rent and I can't get out of the lease and I can't afford it and either I'm going to get fired. And... Third way is like, I don't know, maybe it's a possibility you can handle. Just that alone, even if you don't believe in any mumbo jumbo, in your mind, in your psyche, opening to a third way brings in different possibilities. Hey, Joe Blow needs that office and he's going to give you some money and he might make some extra money on it. So it was repress it? Feel Act it, it, out, it out? Or feel it. Just feel it. Sit with it. Sit with it. Feel it. Sit with it. We don't do that. Repress it. We all have some form of repression and act it out. We actually, a lot of us have it. Right? We all have, those of you who are healers or those of you who are in the corporate world, you all have those people who are a lot of work because they're always just like in this sort of turmoil. That's the acting it out. Everything is a drama. I cannot believe, man, they didn't put my coffee here and it's five pounds. It's like, chill out, man. What is up with you? Because if they're not doing that, they're going to have to feel something. So it's much easier. Now look how much energy it takes to function in that world. Right? It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to repress it. It takes the equal amount of work to be like, rah, 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 rah. and that can be anything, right? As children, some of us go to the eating thing, so we stuff emotions, or some of us go to the sexual thing. It's not uncommon. More with men, but it's happening more and more with women. I treat people who masturbate three, four, five times a day. Now, it's fine, you're, you're releasing energy, but what's happening is you're numbing yourself also. It's not a moral thing. But what it is, is you lose a lot of life force. As a woman, you lose a lot of life force through your menses. As men, you lose it through ejaculating. But for a man, past their 20s, when they're doing that three, four, five times a day, it's pretty serious. You lose a lot of life energy. 
People don't realize the Chinese aren't just like ah, being anal retentive, which they are, but it's a, it's a very specific thing. You lose a tremendous amount of life force. It's not a joke that there's all these canons written in Chinese medicine. I don't know about Indian medicine. I'm sure there's similar things. As you get older, you just don't lose so much sexual energy. You don't ejaculate because it loses energy. You can have sex, you connect with your heart. There's a big disconnect going on on that level. In Ayurveda, they have that after you have sex, you should, there's a drink that you can make. They think you should drink it after. It totally makes sense. And the Chinese have a similar thing. It's a very interesting thing. Just drop a little bit of Chinese medicine knowledge on you for you men in here, but also for the women who love or hate men. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting how we have sex in this culture. It's about the worst way you can have sex. As men, the older you get, 20s, 30s, 40s, late at night, after a couple of drinks, after a hard day's work, it's like negative, negative, negative. The yin energy, which is that, whatever word you want to use for it, feminine energy, is so depleted. So then you have sex after that. You ever notice, for those of you who've been with men, the second they orgasm, they fall asleep. Mm -hmm. That's how it is on a system. The system is like, done. It's very rare where they don't do that. Why is that happening? Because it's so draining on a system. Now, when you hook your anxiety to something like that, it's not a joke that pornography is a gazillion dollar business. We can't even forget about the drug trafficking part of it, the damage of it, how horrendous it is. There's an amazing book that just came out by this woman, um, and I forget her name, that does a lot of research. She's English that lives in Israel and just moved to Maryland, I believe. It's called Pornland. I mean, read this book and weep. We're raising boys that their whole connection with sexuality is rape, anal sex, oral sex. I'm all for like having fun and sex. I'm not some prude. But when you disconnect from your heart and your sexuality, which men do anyway because masturbation is the first way they disconnect, and then you add this stuff to it, one of the things she talks about is that the desensitization that's happening, that the demand for violent porn is to the point where the people that are actually producing the porn are shocked. They don't understand that the more wicked twisted it gets people actually want more that's desensitization mm -hmm. that ties into everything we're talking about here that's the shadow the disconnected but remember we can laugh at the taliban right we can laugh at these crazy shia fuckers in iran doing whatever they're doing don't forget our culture people that came to this country thought europe was too liberal in the 1600s mm -hmm. right we are in the same energy so yeah, we don't make our women wear pardas. We don't, women make what, 70 cents or a dollar of a man? That stuff is all alive and well here and we're all co-conspirators and co-creators in that. I wanted to ask you that. Um, I had, was talking to Gio about it, but um, I mean, you're really just telling your story mm -hmm. and you're letting us do with it what we wish. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder if that same story came from a woman mm -hmm. How would it be received? Um, you'd, you'd be a slut and you'd be really... This culture, I mean... The story is a reality, whether it's male or female. It's got no yeah, yeah, No, no, well, well, there's two things here. I'm not just telling you my story. Uh -huh. I'm telling you my story. And what you learned from it. What I learned from it. But the stuff that I'm telling you is not even what I learned from it. It's part of it is what I learned from it. This stuff is asexual, applies to everyone. But going into my story, you're living in a culture... That's got, when it comes to women, you got the whore Madonna thing. Mm -hmm. People either want to idealize women, all this like flowery, blah, 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 or they'll slay you because you're a slut. 
because they haven't really learned to hold it to. It's a very common thing in heterosexual couples where the men meet the women, they want them to be mothers, this and that, and they'll go get a lover. And then once a lover becomes their woman of choice, they'll go get another lover because they haven't learned to hold the two together. And it's a very, it's very American. I mean, it's very obviously like Middle East, all that. But in America, that's a very powerful energy. All the time. One of the most common things in a lot of marriages is, it's changing now with younger, more aware men. But absolutely, it's the whore Madonna thing. You idealize and then you slay. It's not fun to be idealized, right? So the whole idea is you want to really sexually connect with your woman to really make her alive on that level. It's a very difficult thing to do because it gets very scary. And we don't have models for that. I mean, look at the men that you know and look at their fathers. Right? Look how many men are in this group. And this is a lot. My practice is women and gay men. And God bless them. I love them like my family because they are my family. Not that many straight men. I adore the straight men that come to me, especially when they're not dying from a disease and they're coming to kind of look at things. And the more educated they are, the more checked out they are because the more they're in their head. So to answer your story, I don't know specifically what you're asking, we still, this is what I'm saying to you. To me, I laugh in this culture where they go like women are free. Of course women are more free. My mother was tortured because she lived with these idiots and their small-mindedness. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's not that, that different here. Yes, of course on one level it's different. On another level it's the same thing. All of it. You think that that woman is a, totally repressed because she wears a perdao or covers herself? You don't think how women look here? How men, co- go look at, walk down any street and look at the advertisements. Your idea of a beauty, my idea of a beauty is like a 13-year-old fucking kid. That's sexual, but that is sexual. That's where we're at. We're not into women. We're into little girls. So on that level, it's very twisted. And it's the whole thing. Is it the marketplace? Is it the person? You can't disconnect the two. They're the same thing. I think it's interesting, too, that um, like here in America, to go topless here is so... Like it's such a big deal, mm-hmm. and yet you know, uh, or to go naked. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but then the people, the same people that are upset about you going naked on a beach, or, you know, running to their laptops, you know, watching porno, <laughs> or looking at stuff or getting movies—it's just insane. But that's exactly what we're talking about in here, right? Yeah. Because you go to Sweden, you go to parks, people are topless. You come here, it is a big deal. But remember, who are the ancestors? I mean, remember your culture. If you're not knowing your history, you are a prisoner to it. People came here because they thought it was too wild. I mean, they weren't wild in Europe, right? I mean, you do get the joke of this whole thing. So that's in our culture. And this is what I'm talking about. So when you say my story, my story is your story. My story is no different. Well, it's the voice. There's very specific grounded exercises that applies to everyone, man or woman, Iranian, Pakistani, and all that. But to answer your question, there is a lot of judgment for a woman having gone through that than a man, just because we're judgmental people. If we can agree that we're all judgmental, then that's okay. Well, when people are going to tell me like, hey man, that things are so fucked up in your part of the world, we're so lucky here. It's like, yeah, you're lucky that you don't have somebody putting a gun in your head, but you're suffering in a different way. We're all in the same boat here. That's a such a big arrogance that we think we're not. Different kinds of pain. I talk about it in my book. What's what the Dalai Lama says, you know? This homeboy, whatever you love him, you hate him. The guy's like a monk sitting around. The amount of suffering that's around is profound. 
You know, people come in with like a sheet like this of medication. Okay, that's fine. Medication can be very helpful. There are people who really need medication. But it's not just that. There's a lot of pain that people don't want to deal with. And more and more we shove it down. And this whole medication thing is really wild. Because it's about controlling. Right? And you've done speed. Those of you who've done drugs. You've got five-year-olds taking Adderall. There's no goddamn research of what... But there's no research done on what happens to effect of this. Speed burns your body's energy faster. We talked about it yesterday. When you do ayahuasca, it takes energy out of you. It has an it ha- ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is, is a hallucinogen. Okay. It's a big thing that where people kind of take it. Yeah. yeah, it's like so we're giving these medications to these kids, burning their energies faster. Why? Because it's again a part of not wanting to deal with the shadow. What do you think the whole agribusiness in this culture is? You can't eat the food. You can't drink the water. What is that? That's part of the shadow. Well, we, well it's, but look at it. You have to examine it. When you look at it with this lens, it all makes sense. The face is all great. Free-range chicken. Well, when you kind of look behind the scene of what's going on with chicken, there's nothing free, free or, or range about it. So that's, again, the shadow. This is the presentation. That's the disconnection. So going back to the story, to me, politics isn't going to solve this whole thing. Catastrophes aren't going to solve this whole thing because we're going to get right back on a horse to the same thing because we've done that. The only way is each and every person does this work and then out of that becomes a genuine person that needs to be in the world. And I truly believe this. You can never do anything. You can be in that business meeting. People will get transformed around you. Already from the work you've done, people get transformed. They might not know it. They'll be whatever. They'll be transformed. Whatever you're doing, that's the work. Clear it. Vibrate from that frequency. And we will have some fun. Actually taste something in your life. What else? Mother Teresa said um, that um, the United States had a different kind of hunger. It's beautiful. Hunger of the heart. Beautiful. So, beautiful. And um, it, it's odd to be born in a country, in a place in a country, in a family in a country, and be impacted by all those levels of information and belief, mm-hmm. and having to, to pull that away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very surprising to me that, um, that what I believe, or what I have come to believe, has been taught to me, well, not taught to me, uh, but reinforced within me due to a cultural language. Mm-hmm. Which is not a coincidence, because because the advertising world in this. I mean, you want to get into this stuff. There's some deep research on this. I mean, you're going to want to buy a gun and sleep with like a loaded shotgun under your bed. We're being manipulated beyond what I was saying to you earlier. This is like Pravda, 1950. Seventy-five percent of the oil is free. The Coast Guard is not letting journalists get close to the spill. Scientists are not getting close to the spill. All of a sudden, the government comes and says that. That's just one example. You're getting manipulated left and right. We went from economy is great. Anybody who had the experience walking around, didn't need to be economists, economy didn't seem like it's great. All of a sudden, a year later, yeah, we might have double dip. No one's understanding. And that's just a very superficial political level. You're being forced. They're doing real-time MRIs to see how your brain reacts to the new color of Coca-Cola. The level of brainwashing has been kicked up phenomenally, 
right? This meditation isn't about, hey, let's find out who you are. It's like, let's find out what your voice is. These guys got the next, next game going. When I say these guys, these guys are us. Is a part of us that's unconscious. So Rome is burning. Not only are we fiddling, we're going to have a Coke with the fiddle and say, no, it's a really beautiful warm fire. It's really nice. I love the color of it. Let's throw a little more green over there. So what you're saying is very true. And bigger than that, this culture is becoming world culture. The whole fame thing, the whole celebrity thing, that's a drug. We talk about it, right? It's like, we, let's, let's talk about Tiger Woods. Let's talk about this. It's like, what do you think this stuff is? So the cultural language, the hypnosis is so big. One of the things that I tell people, and any, anybody can afford it. People are like, I can't afford it. Once a year, get out of this country for a week to break the cultural hypnosis. I don't care if you go to Bahamas. I'm sure you've had the experience. You step out, you come back like, oh, it shifts something. And I would say this to you if you lived in Iran. I would say this to you if you lived in Italy. Where you live hypnotizes you. Culture has a consciousness, and it wants to perpetuate itself. It's not about your interests. It's about the culture's interest. That's beyond some big bad boy sitting up there and pulling strings, which it is, but it's bigger than that. You help by not perpetuating it, but you have to know what you're perpetuating so you don't perpetuate it. So what you're saying is beautiful. It's so big, and it's getting more and more refined. The wiggle room is more and more. Right? Again, we talk about this is the cultural hypnosis. Freedom, Coke and Pepsi. Okay, that's one freedom, but it's got to be a little bit more than Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, but it's Fanta too. Well, not Fanta here, but 7-Up. Everything is broken down to consumerism. The second you don't want to consume, you're a threat. Not because some big secret service guy is going to take you out, although that might happen in the near future too, but because the system has a consciousness. So remember... That's why I'm telling you that spirituality has become a consumer good. I kind of see some of this stuff. It cracks me up, but it cracks me up because it breaks my heart. The arrogance, and it's us. It's not like some asshole out there. If some asshole out there is doing it, that's me. That's the arrogance in me. I remember one of these very famous teachers. The guy is like, and the guy I actually really liked in the 80s. I'm not going to name names. But in the 80s, he had done a lot of beautiful books. It really changed the way I thought. I was like, wow, they're really beautiful. But that's sort of like we don't know when to stop because we start believing our own hype. We all have a piece of the puzzle, right? Once your piece is out there, you do your thing, step back and live your life. But the ego loves it. Oh, I'm famous, I'm famous, I'm great, I'm great. So this guy had written a book called, let's say, The Tao of Drinking Pepsi. But it was something else, The Tao of Something Else. And I was like, The Tao of that, interesting. So there's an interview with this jackass on NPR. And they're going like, well, Mr. Jackass, how long have you been drinking Pepsi? He's like, yeah, I've been doing it about four or five months. Right? There are people in here, in this room, who've done things 20, 30 years. Would you write a book? That this person in arrogance writes the Tao, which means the depth, the understanding of this, after doing something four to six months. I bet you that book sold God knows how many copies. That's how sleepwalking we are. So remember, you're not just up against this. You're up against a culture that's saying, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. I have a chapter in the book called Using the Alarm Clock to Stay Asleep because that's what I see all the time. People will use the same repetitive pattern. Thinking is waking them up, but it's just an alarm clock and it gives us a little gas. I love your story that you shared at lunch again. People go to this woman. There's this very famous Buddhist teacher, wonderful, wonderful lady, the woman suffered. And 
because she suffered, she's real. Because out of the suffering, she's opened her heart out. You might love her, you might hate her. She's real. But her main thing is meditation. Her whole thing is like meditate. Sit with your suffering. So people come over and over and over. And then she asks, like after how many years, how many of you are meditating? No one raises their hand. There you have it. The work isn't hard. You don't need to move to Tibet. You don't need to. That stuff is just more and more getting high. You want to move to Tibet because it's fun? Thumbs up. But your bedroom, sitting in your bathroom, I have patients have these nervous breakdowns that are in these corporate offices. I'm like, go sit on the shitter and sit for five minutes. Don't, you don't have a meditation room. It's very simple. The excuses are profound. But really, like, go in the bathroom. I've done that before. I'm in these offices having these really, like, openings. And, oh, my God, I'm just going to sit there. I'm just, i got to close the door. I just sit there. Don't smell great. Don't look like Tibet. Well, maybe it smells like Tibet. But it's like, it's sort of like <laughs> opens things up a little bit. So I don't want to beat a dead horse. Now, just going back on little Mother Teresa there. Very interesting character. Because she was so amazing and she was so fucked up. I can't imagine anybody in India saying, like, you don't do contraception when there's, like, gazillions. Of, but God bless her. One of the most beautiful things she ever said. They asked her, what are you doing? She said, I'm serving Jesus, I'm serving Christ in his many disturbing disguises. That's all of us. That's the part of her that's enlightened. I'm serving Christ in his many disturbing disguises. That's all of us. This is one disguise. This is one disguise. One disguise. One disguise. One disguise. One disguise. One disguise. Sleep yet? Take a deep breath. Let's see what else we can do today before we go out. So we can make these changes. You're making them. Feel, feel how different, feel how you're feeling different. It's really simple on one level, I'm telling you. On one level, some of this stuff takes time and relationship stuff is difficult. Tomorrow is going to be all dedicated to relationships because that's a really great place where you see whether you're full of shit or not. Most of us can be enlightened by ourselves. Animals will start kicking up a notch. The relationship boy, woo! Then you see where you're at. But really is, to me, very profound. And by relationship, you don't have to be in a sexual relationship. By relationship, I mean family, I mean friends, I mean the whole thing. Now, you don't have to be in a love relationship. That's not the way. But for most of us, we're absolutely f afraid of it. Because a lot of people that I treat, in my experience, whether they're in relationship or not, they're not in relationship. And they compartmentalize. We'll talk about that more. So the porn thing that you brought up so beautifully. It's amazing how many men are addicted to porn. And for men, remember, men, one of the first ways they disconnect, similar to women, is by masturbating at a young age. But for men, it takes a very different path. For women, it's more bodily centered, although that's changed just in my experience of 25 years. It's become more heady. For men, it's really heady. It's fantasies, fantasies, fantasies. For some women, it's fantasies. For, for women, they still have kept more of an ability to be in their bodies. Men really aren't in their bodies. Very rarely are men in their bodies, if they're honest. So the addiction thing with that is really huge. So the relationship thing is an interesting thing to look at, and we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow. I don't want to start something new now when we've got to go. Um, let's go into this now as we're closing up this evening. What can you expect from spiritual practice? This is a big one. This, this is where this whole industry, which is a gazillion dollar industry in this country, is trying to sell you. What can you expect from it? 
pretty much nothing what they're telling you. Serenity, maybe. Sometimes, sometimes not. More astute observation of where you're at, where you're full of shit, where you're strong. Okay, definitely. Money, this whole manifestation stuff, you believe it, you can manifest it. And it's amazing how rich people always say that stuff. It is true. There are possibilities, probabilities. Some people are good at it. If you're Michael Jackson, you have a gift with your voice. You can do things. I can try as hard as I want, put as many gloves as I want on my hand. I'm really not going to be Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan, badass motherfucker. Not into basketball, but even I know about him. If I'm his height and his talents, I might be a great basketball player. But when I go in a seminar and someone goes, find your inner Michael Jackson, find your inner Michael Jordan, you can play basketball. Are you fucking kidding me? But that's what people are saying. Do you know one of the most painful memories that I have? This is when all this new agey stuff was really starting in the 80s, was with an AIDS patient that was dying. Sweet, sweet young man. So this man is standing in front of this, you know those towel dispensers that are like clinical, they're, they look like mirrors, but they're not, they're just horrible things. And it's this horrible green fluorescent light. I hated this clinic. He's standing in there and he's gone. He's, there's nothing left. And he's saying, my T-cells are growing now. My T-cells are coming up now. My t It's like, brother, you're dying. Now, he's suffering because he's dying. He's got neuropathy. He's in pain everywhere. On top of that, he's got to deal with this crazy idea that he's a failure because he's not managing to raise his T-cells. He's failed. This is the bullshit of this stuff, the damage of it. There's a lot of that in the 80s. Now, is it true that some people can have that connection with their body and shift their things? Sure. Can you learn to shift it to a certain extent? Sure. But there's such a complicated thing. Maybe the karmic lesson there is to die and learn from that. Maybe the karmic lesson is to heal it without medication. Maybe the karmic lesson is to take medication and surrender. But to say you can do that. You live in this finite world. Part of the danger of this stuff is like everybody can have everything. Really? You're going to have a billion Chinese and a billion uh, Indians have the lifestyle of 300 million Americans? Good luck. So these are the myths of this spiritual thing. What can it do for you? So you've taken a system and you've transposed this idea of your ego on it. Right? These are very ego-based. These are very ego. You can have whatever you want. Because let's look at the premise of that. The ego is never going to be happy. So the idea is like already so crazy. You can manifest everything you want. You're just, if you're empty, you're just going to be that much more empty with more toys. I love my toys. You touch my toys, I'll kill you. But I can tell you it makes fuck all difference. When I'm happy, I can really play with my bikes and I'm happy. When I'm miserable, I go look at my bikes, I can't touch them. It's not about the bikes or not the bikes. I'm a firm believer. I'm not an aesthetic. I want to experience things that don't harm other people. So when it's my time to die, if I die on my bike today and ride home, I'll be done. I won't be like on my way leaving my body, oh shit, I wish I'd done that. I really do my best to do that. But does it make a difference? So this whole premise that you can consume, you can manifest, so what you manifest? Now, yes, if you have, don't, can't rub two pennies together, go take some financial courses, go to, talk to some people who know about money, learn to have some money so you're not starving. I'm not saying that. But you can manifest whatever you want. doesn't make sense. How many people are questioning that? 
Go and look at these books, what books are being sold. Go look at these workshops, what workshops are being filled. It's all that. It's the ego grandizing the ego, grandizing the ego. Remember that you're already complete this moment. From here, everything is good, whatever you do. But if you're complete, then again goes like, why would you be doing that? So this stuff is really tricky and no one really questions it. One last thing. I know you're all kind of, kind of, the energy's coming down. Let's talk about wellness. What is wellness? Right, so we talked about diet. We talked about eating this. What is your definition of wellness? Are you well if you have a certain body weight? Are you well if you have a certain skin? Bank account? What's wellness to you? One of the things that's really twisted in this culture is this weird idealized image of what wellness is. Some of the greatest masters of this century and last century, last century because we're 21st, died of cancer. Were they well? Was Ramana Maharshi well? He died of cancer. All of us put here together, yeah, our core energy, root nature is the same as him, can't hold a candlestick to what this man, who he was energetic, because he remember, we don't remember. Was he well? And if he was well, why did he die of cancer? So you live in a culture which is so based on consumerism, these crazy new agey ideas of what wellness is. Deprivation is not spirituality. If you live on one carrot a day, you're no more enlightened than the guy who eats the steak. Actually, your job is to hang out with the guy who eats the steak and learn to love him. Hopefully educate them because the planet can't sustain everybody eating steaks. But it makes no difference. So the wellness thing is one of these tricks that the ego uses to judge. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. The most judgmental people are the people who become rigid. Fundamentalism isn't just in Iran with these mullahs running around. Fundamentalism is everywhere. It's alive and well in the spiritual world. My way is your way. My way is not your way. Your way is not my way. Maybe we can meet here for two seconds, go a little bit distant on here, come back together. So question these things. Make sense? So if you're a yogi, wonderful. Makes fuck all difference. People all the time say that. I did this, I did that. Really, to me, awakening is a universe's gift to you. You get out of your own way, it'll come to you. You can't do anything to get it. You think you can do stuff to get it? Like that whole thing is such a fucking ego trip. I'll say this to you again. The you that wants it can't be there when it's there. When we had this quiet moment of let's hear what this room hears when we're not here, the closest you got to that is when you're not here. The you and that can't be together. It's like a fish trying to be dry. Fish, when it's dry, it's dead. So we'll go back to Rumi. Rumi says, your job is not to seek love. It's to remove all the obstacles, seek out all the obstacles that hold love away from you. Because you're a fish drowning in love, but you can't hold it. And think of Rumi, right? It's really funny where I come from. In Afghanistan, the Rumi, you know, everyone's like, Rumi is Afghani. In Iran, they're like, Rumi is Iranian. And in Turkey, they're like, you know, if it was in Afghanistan, they'd chop his head off the Taliban. If it was in Iran, I'm sure they'd stone him to death. And if it was in Turkey, he'd probably live for a year before some nationalists would shoot him. 
Well, probability corrupt them by putting them up there and giving them a lot of young boys. A reality show. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have room for those things. But remember, part of it is, too, the guru thing doesn't work anymore. Because now it's about us stepping into that power. And we'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow. This parental projection with the guru thing is a big thing. Part of the reason all these crazy things happen is because we have these issues with our parents and we look for these teachers that reflect our parents. And believe me, that relationship is always there. If your daddy or mommy was like this, you're going to repeat that thing over and over. And a lot of the times the teaching isn't what we think it is. It isn't that my Zen teacher taught me meditation. That's wonderful. The teaching actually was that my heart got broken because he was fucking six women. And my dad was fucking around. If that was my thing, that was my teaching. Things aren't what we think they are. We're always getting taught. We're just always very confused about what the teaching is. So the guru and projection thing is big. And really my sense is right now that we all have to step up. Not that we don't honor each other and all that, but it's really about waking up and everybody holds that peace. That patriarchal system, I'll say this very slowly, but it's very interesting. Do you understand how we went from matriarchy to patriarchy? Matriarchal culture, we're all hanging out, everything is cool. We start planting seeds. So we start, instead of being people that move around, we start planting seeds, we start having to be in one area. Once we're in one area, other people can come and grab that area. So all of a sudden you have these wars. When you have wars, it's the men that fight the wars. When decisions have to be made very immediately, the men have to start making the decisions to protect that thing that you are growing. So when we went into that state, we shifted from this matriarchal world to this patriarchal world. We're still stuck in that. Clear? We had nothing, everything is cool. Now we've got something we've got to protect. We've got to protect it. We need war, we need war, we need quick decisions. We can't have the women's council. These guys are coming to kill us. We're going to go into that mode. We're still stuck in that mode. You add to it the advent of alcohol, whereas before you would be walking around, you might have a mushroom or something. It'd make you a better hunter. Your vision would be open. You'd have the connection with the absolute. Alcohol, evil. Do you know that all, people talk about crack, about heroin. Do you know that all the horrible, violent uh, rapes, but all the violence rates are alcohol-based, not these other drugs? You don't see a lot of people on pot killing people. And all this stuff with crystal meth and all that, alcohol is the number one drug, especially in violent offense. It's one of the biggest evils. So with the advent of grains, the advent of fermentation, when you start looking at history, you understand that whole craziness. So a lot of teachers talk about it's the divine feminine coming back. The divine feminine isn't that women are taking over. It means the divine feminine in all of us. I treat a lot of women that are worse than the men that I treat because to survive in that patriarchal system, they had to kill all the femininity in themselves. So they were better men. Margaret Thatcher was more of a man. She had to be to survive that. So divine feminine isn't about man or woman, but it's about the receptiveness. Now, receptiveness. The Dallas have a great image. These teeth, very hard. Tongue, very soft. This tongue is going to be around a lot longer than these teeth if I live a full life. That's receptiveness. This tongue can bite this. This teeth can bite this tongue and chop it in half. Receptiveness is an almighty power. It's very vulnerable to be receptive. But it's going to be around a lot longer. These teeth don't feel anything. They can crush things. They don't taste anything. So do you want to be the teeth or do you want to be the tongue? 
Hopefully both. But don't just be the teeth. Because the teeth can keep chomping on every damn thing and never taste a thing. And that's our life right now in this culture. Mm, mm, mm. Shove more, shove more, shove more. It never ends. Again, we're not tasting. Last call for alcohol. Any comments before we go? Feels like a, it's legal for a reason. Everybody good? I want to I do three alms just to kind of close the energy and get us a little grounded before I send you out there to the big bad world, my children. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Go forth and prosper. Thank you. Uh, tomorrow, 9 o'clock, 9 to 12 tomorrow.